Always helps when you're in the on position. <laughs> so how's everybody doing this morning? You know, it's, uh, I'm so glad to see faces in here. When I recorded last week's online service, I was the only one in here. And, you know, I, I enjoyed myself. I preached myself happy. And whenever we have snow days or anything like that, we will be posting everything online. You can have church right, right there, right on your couch and uh, have a good time. You know, there's no distance in the Holy Spirit, which is the great thing. The same Holy Spirit that I have where I am is the same Holy Spirit you have where you are, and we can both draw from the same source. And so this week, I want to jump right into continuing on our series that we're doing on the name of Jesus. And so we were telling you that as we ended last year and starting this year, that everything changed between the cross and the throne. And so the first one we're focusing on is that the, we have access to the name of Jesus. And uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, the him being Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name. So the thing we have to understand and settle within ourselves above all else is there is nothing higher than Jesus. You know, in, in our own lives, we have, we, we categorize things, you know, like if we look at sickness, it's like, well, there's the cold and then there's the flu, but then there's cancer. And, you know, we categorize things in those type of things. When it comes to Jesus, there's nothing on his level. Everything has to bow to the name of Jesus. And in verse 10, it says the name, at, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Those that are in heaven, those on the earth, and those under the earth. So there is nothing that is, at, is excluded from the idea that Jesus is above all and everything bows. When Jesus comes on the scene, nothing gets to stand against him. And it says that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so when it comes to Jesus, there is no higher. And the great thing is Paul said, that Jesus has been raised up and made to sit together in heaven, or he's made, been risen up to the right hand of the Father, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come also. And then it says that he's raised us up and made us sit together with him. So if you are with him, seated on the right hand of the Father, and he is up there above every name that is named, guess what? You are up there with him in that position when you bring on the name of Jesus and remind this world of your position in Christ Jesus it has to bow because it recognizes you are right there with Jesus and so one of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples before he left in Mark chapter 16 verse 15 he said go into all the world and preach the good news to every creature and he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And it says, and these signs will follow those who believe. And I always like to stop there because these signs don't follow those who don't believe. This is something that has been set for believers, not for unbelievers, not for those who don't believe. And I think it's interesting that churches that don't believe that miracles are for today don't see miracles today. 
And then you kind of wonder, well, why is that? You don't have to wonder. They don't believe it. And it says these signs follow those who believe. And this, as if you're watching the online service last week, this is not just simple faith. This is pisteo. This is faith in action. This means there's something that I believe, and it has moved me to get up and say, this is how it is. You know, this is not just simple faith. This is, I'm like, I believe the name of Jesus changes things. And so Jesus goes on and says that in my name, they will cast out demons, and they will speak with new tongues, and they will take up serpents, and if they any, drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And so basically, this is not an exhaustive list of what the name of Jesus does. What Jesus was trying to get across to his disciples is when you believe and you use my name, supernatural things happen. Heaven touches earth. Heaven invades earth, and you get heaven results rather than earth results. Hallelujah. I would say that I'll try and slow down and calm down for you, but I have no promises of that at all. You know, as I was preparing in my office ahead of time, I was like, God, I may preach this message or there's a thousand other messages that seem to just to be bubbling. When you get excited about the word of God, don't hold it in, let it out, let it at work. And so he said, when the name of Jesus is applied, things change, things happen, things outside of the realm of human possibility become possible to believers in Christ Jesus. Not because of your something, but because he's something and has made you there with him. He's raised you up to sit in that position, not by your goodness, not by your works, but because of his. And so he says that to them, and he says, so then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. So you can't separate this verse, these verses here in Mark 16 and Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. When he sat down on the right hand of God, Paul was having a glimpse into the heavenly realm, and he sees Jesus on the right hand of the Father, and then he sees you with him. Hallelujah. And they went out and they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. Amen. But if you go back to the verse before, Jesus just went home and sat down. How was he working with them? through the name of Jesus. The word with them there is the word synergio, and it's an action word. It's a verb, and it means to work together, to help in work, to be a partner in labor, to put forth power together with and to thereby assist. So when they say that the Lord was working with them, one of the things that pops up in me as soon as I read that is most people are waiting for God to do something for them, and here it says he worked with them. And so if you're waiting for God to come and change something and make something happen, he takes hold when you go together. The word synergio is where we get our word for synergist, which is basically two things come together and work as one, which is exactly what Paul was talking about in the first three chapters of Ephesians. He's saying that the two have been made one, him and you 
became us together as one. And so when, it, when you want to work in what God has left for you to do, it comes when we get up and choose that I'm gonna do this with you, God. I'm not going to be a spectator. I'm going to be a participant. I'm going to be a partaker, as Peter said, partaker of the divine nature. And so how did they then take this word, this name of Jesus, and apply it? Well, two weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter three. In verse one, it says, now Peter and John went together to the temple at the hour of prayer, which is the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, and whom they laid daily at the gate, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of those who entered the temple. And who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on them with John, Peter said, look at us. And he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold have, I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So Peter just didn't leave it in words, though. The man is laying there. He's been there for a long time. He comes there daily. Someone carries him, puts him there. Peter and John come on the scene, and he says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. But what Peter does shows what his belief is in the power of Jesus' name. He takes him by the right hand, and he pulls him up to his feet, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Peter didn't just say, oh, Jesus, Jesus. No, he believed that when Jesus was put, the name was put it to use, that something happens, and he was going to help that man get moving. And so leap, he leaping up, he stood, and he walked, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Why was he walking and leaping and praising God? Because God had just changed his life. Whew. When something changes in your life, go ahead and do a little dance. You don't have to harness your emotions and hold them in. You know, we have no problem shouting at football games and soccer games and hockey games, but when it comes to the things of God, we need to be a little more vocal about them. He went walking and leaping and praising God, and everybody started thinking, what's going on with this man? And a crowd began to form, and Peter began to preach. And this is what Peter, in his explanation of what has just happened, he tells him exactly how this happened. In verse 16, he says, And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and you know, and yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So it wasn't just the name, it was through faith. In his name. What do you believe the name of Jesus can do? What do you believe happens when you apply it to the situations of your life? Because it's not just the name, it's when we place faith in the name. And so this caught the attention of, the, of the, those running the temple. They grabbed Peter and John and they take him away and they're like, what are we going to do with them? And the only thing that they could come up with was verse 18. They said, they called them, they commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Why? They recognized the power source. They said they knew that they were unlearned and ignorant men, but recognized they had been with Jesus. And they said, don't spread this anymore. Stop talking about this man named Jesus. Stop talking about what happens when you place faith in Jesus. 
because they didn't want to see this. They were losing their power because people are walking away from the church or the temple and walking into the new church that is be, was being born in those days. But Peter answered them and he said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. I like that. Should we listen to you, Mr. Priest, or should we listen to God? Should you listen to the opinion of those around you, or should you listen to God? Should you listen to the naysayers of this world, or should you listen to God? Should you listen to the worry warts of this world, or should you listen to God? Should you listen to all the negative reports that we hear nonstop through the news, or should we listen to God? And so Peter says, you judge. Because basically he's like, I really don't care what you have to say. I'm going to do what I need to do regardless of. And it says, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and have heard. But the question that I was thinking about this week as I was going through all this is, how did they know to do this? Because if you look at it, as Mark 16 was a very short conversation that they had. So obviously there must be more contained in the Bible about what Jesus was saying about this whole topic prior to him going home. And we can look at Mark chapter 9, which I think we referenced two weeks ago, where his disciples came to him and said, we saw people casting out demons in your name. This is even before the cross. This is before anything's happened. They're actually doing this on credit of the cross. The cross transcends time. It says he's the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And so these, these, uh, these men that weren't even disciples of Jesus are casting out demons in his name. And the disciples say, don't do that anymore. And Jesus said, don't stop them. Anybody who's doing that isn't against me. They're for me. And so we know that they saw a glimpse there of what the name of Jesus could do. But here in John chapter 14, it's one of the longest conversations we have of Jesus basically talking from chapter 13 through chapter 17, and it's one long conversation he's having with his disciples. But in verse 1 of chapter 14, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. In my Father's house, there are many mansions, or many rooms is another translation, and if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, and wh that where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas. So on the online service last week, we talked about Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas because when Jesus was raised from the dead, everybody else saw him except for him. And he says, I will not believe unless I see his hand and I can put my finger in the hole and shove my hand in the side. And then Jesus shows up and he's like, oh, my Lord. And he's like, hey, Thomas, stick your finger in. Stick your hand in. Don't be unbelieving, Thomas. And he said, blessed are those who have not seen 
and believe. And that's where we run into a lot of issues with people is they're unwilling to believe what they have not yet seen with their natural eyes and touched with their natural senses. The word of God transcends what you can see naturally. It says that the worlds were framed by the word of God that that which was invisible became visible. It existed in God before it existed in this world. And there's things that God has said about you and when you look at the situation you're like, I just don't see it look with new eyes because it already exists inside of God let it flood this natural world through your belief and so Thomas says Lord we do not know where you're going and how can we know the way and Jesus said to him I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me Jesus is always the doorway to God There is no other way to get to God. Now, there's many ways to get to Jesus, but there's only one way to get to God, and that is through Jesus. Jesus. And verse 7 says, If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen them. And then Philip, we don't hear a lot from Philip, but he says, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be sufficient or it'll be enough. Just just roll back heaven, Jesus, and show us the Father and then we'll believe you. That's basically what Philip says here. So if we give Thomas a hard time, how about Philip? He's basically telling Jesus, I don't believe you. Show me God. And so Jesus says in verse nine, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? If you ever want, wondering what God wants to do, look at Jesus. They think alike. It says, do you not believe that I am, I am in the Father and the Father's in me? And the words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works? Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So basically he says, if you don't, haven't seen God in me, what about all these things we've been doing for the last three years, Philip? What about all these works? Who can do those but God? And we can seek our answers and miracles elsewhere, but they're only found in God. And Jesus says, Philip, look, look, these, that should be enough. And then he says this in verse number 12, and this is be a good verse for us all to remember and learn and keep on the front of our minds. He says this, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Why is that an important verse? Jesus is saying, I'm not the only one who can do this. This is what the kids of God do. Last time I checked, he called us his sons and his daughters. And he told his disciples, you think these works, Philip? This this shows you that I came from God. But you know what? You'll do them too. Now, some people say, well, when he talks about greater, he means greater in number, and, you know, you know, there'll just be more things happening around the world. 
Paul did things that Jesus never did. Peter did things that Jesus never did. I've seen other miracles live in person that I've not seen in the Bible before. So just because Jesus didn't do it doesn't mean it's not possible because he said you can do greater because he's going to the Father. And guess what? When he went to the Father, so did you. And that word greater is great. It's the word megas. And whenever I hear, hear that word megas, I think of the word, the, the movie uh, Minions that the kids love to watch. And at the end, after they've saved the day and Queen Elizabeth is handing out prizes to the Minions, she gives Bob a guitar and he goes, oh, super mega ukulele! <laughs> and he was like, this is the awesomest guitar ever! You know, when Jesus said, greater works shall you do. He's saying, you're going to do awesome things. Super mega ukulele. (laughs) What I'm trying to say there is you need to think as big of this word as it is and not limit it. It means greater in number or quantity, in numerous, large, abundant. It can be used in a form of intensity and it's splendid, prepared on a grand scale and great things. It's time for the body of Christ to rise back up and let great things begin to happen again. This was not ending with Jesus. He said, greater works you shall do because I'm going home and I'm going to bring you with me. Next verse though. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Just in case they missed it the first time, then he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus was prepping his disciples beforehand. He was letting them know everything's about to change and the most important thing is you remember my name, place faith in my name because everything changes when it's applied. Hallelujah. I I like um, E.W. Kenyon. He was a Baptist minister. And in 1927, he wrote a book called The Wonderful Name of Jesus. And he started the book off this way, that he was preaching on this topic of the name of Jesus in, in Tennessee. And at, in the middle of his message, a lawyer stood up and interrupted his message. And he said, do you mean to tell me that Jesus has given us power of attorney to use his name? And E.W. Kenyon was a little taken back by it. And he said, well, I'm the preacher, and you're the lawyer. You tell me. And he said, well, if language means anything, that's exactly what he's done. And the guy was just like having his world rocked when he realized how these are connected. And so E.W. Kenyon flipped it back on him. He said, so what is the value of power attorney? And he said, that is entirely dependent on the power and the authority and the resources of the one the name represents. The name that is above every name, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that all heaven's resources are at its back. And he gave you the power of attorney to use it. I think as Christians, we think way too small. 
Now, does that mean you can ask whatever you want and just God's completely obligated to do it? No, we have to let Scripture interpret Scripture because when people hear stuff like that, they're like, oh God, I asked for $500 billion. And I'm like, what are you doing with the five you got in your pocket right now? What do you need $500 billion for? And people get stupid. Here's what John said, John the Beloved, in 1 John chapter 5. He says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions we have asked about them. So John's caveat in it is, it's got to be according to his will. What's his will? His word is his will. If you find it in his word, he will fully back it up. When the Holy Spirit begins to lead you in a direction and says, I want you to step out and do this, you've got to understand that heaven's resources always come with heaven's equipping and heaven's direction. And so whatever God has put you in your heart to do in your direction, being led by the Holy Spirit, not on your stupid desires, but in what the Holy Spirit has led you to do, all of heaven will back you up. I like um, what John, James said about this. He's, verse 2 of chapter 4, he says, You lust and you have not. You kill and you desire to have, and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war, and yet you have not because you ask not. But all of the words he's describing before this have to do with the natural fleshly desires of your heart. And so he says, yet you have not because you ask not. And then he says in the next verse, you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Or another way is putting it that you may lavish it upon their lust. The reason why a lot of people want to believe for certain things is because they want them to look good not because they want to fulfill the, the commission and the purpose that God has placed them on this earth to do. And I fully believe in prosperity, that God prospers His children when we walk with Him and work with Him. But He knows when it's all about you. He's not stupid. Even Jesus, when He was here on this earth, knew people's thoughts and the discerned what was going on in their hearts. He was the word of God. John said in chapter one, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, the writer of Hebrews in chapter four, verse 12 says, the word of God is living and powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God fully blesses his children when you walk in his will, in his direction. But when you get out there, that's why people get stupid sometimes. But when you take on God's heart, you don't ask, you can't ask amiss because the hearts get entwined. So then the next, if we go back to John 14, chapter, verse 15, sorry. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, when we were doing our series on accepted and the beloved, what, what was the most important commandment that Jesus said? This is the highest commandment. Love God, love people. And how do we love God and love people? We let ourselves get loved by God. He says, I have, you have loved because I loved you first. He says, and I'll pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. And for he dwells with you and shall be in you. You want to know 
how to get where you need to be and stay in the will of God? He gave you the Holy Spirit. He didn't leave us as orphans. And he says, these things I've spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Well, we're talking about the name of Jesus here, aren't we? He will teach you all things. He'll bring things to your remembrance, all the things I said to you, and peace I leave with you. You want to know where the will of God is for you? Follow after peace. I find a great test that has been for me when I'm like, God, should I do this? I go, God, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do this. Which one feels like peace and which one doesn't? You know, being led by the Holy Spirit can be that simple and that easy. We don't have to make it that the clouds open up and the angels shout and the trumpets blow and God says, this is where I want you to go. He says, no, he leads you in peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. And let not your heart be troubled and don't let it be afraid. Now, the principle of the Bible is that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything should be established. So Jesus started in chapter 14, and then he went into verse chapter 15, and he said, you didn't cho choose me, but I chose you. And I pointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So there's two. He repeats himself in chapter 15. There he goes again in chapter 16. He says, and in that day, you'll ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Everything changed between the cross and the throne. And Jesus is saying, up until this point, you didn't ask anything. But he says, now, ask, and you will receive that your joy might be full. God loves when his children are happy. He has no problem with us being happy. Next verse says, And these things I've spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father, and that's the time you live in. There's no shadows, there's no mystery God wants to reveal himself to his children. And he says, and in that day, you will ask in my name. And I don't say that I shall pray the Father for you. There it comes back to the idea of, if you're waiting on God to do something for you, you're going to keep waiting. Because he's saying, I'm not going to pray for you. But he says, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. Wow. Ask in my name. That's what he was telling his disciples leading up to him going home. Ask in my name. So when he gets over into Mark 16 and says, and these signs will follow those who believe, that in my name, they knew what he had been prepping for. Maybe up until that point, until after he was resurrected and now having this conversation, maybe it hadn't clicked until that point. We know Peter didn't fully understand. Jesus was saying, I'm, I'm going to die, and Peter's saying, no, you're not. So not everything clicked for them right away. But by the time the Holy Spirit had filled them and they launched out, 
they understood. Now, if this is true, we should see it working in other people other than the disciples, right? Well, why don't we jump ahead to Acts chapter 19 with Paul. It says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from the body, from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and evil spirits went out of them. So here we see something that we didn't see this in Jesus, but now we're seeing in Paul. It's saying that even the clothes that he was wearing became so saturated with the presence of God that when they would take them and put them on the sick, they got healed. I like with Peter, he was so filled with the presence of God that when he walked through the streets of Jerusalem, they would lay out the sick beside and his shadow would touch them and they'd get healed. Jesus never did that. And so that's what was going on with Paul. But then it says in verse 13 that some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. <coughs> so it's not even someone they know, it's the Jesus who Paul talks about. And there were son, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, who did this. And, and the evil spirit answered and said to them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? These signs will follow those who believe. Here we've got a bunch of people trying to imitate Paul with someone they don't even know. And they try to use the name of Jesus, and they had just seen Paul doing things, so therefore we know that Paul was using it, or how would they have be trying to copy him? <laughs> and the man whom the evil spirits had was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. It's <laughs> funny. And in verse 17 it says, And this became known both to all Jews and Greeks who were dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. It's time for the name of Jesus to become magnified in our cities, in our towns, from where we come from, from where we go. The name of Jesus goes with you. Put it into practice. Put it into use. He says, pray the Father in my name. If we jump back to Acts chapter 16, we can see Paul in this again. In verse 16, it says, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us and who brought her masters much profit and fortune by, by fortune telling. And this girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And you got to think of how like, much that would suck. You're trying to make new connections within the city, and here's this girl like going behind you. Oh, these guys have come from God to show us the way. And it says she did this for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, I would say so, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. So there we see Paul directly using the name of Jesus. The word of God and the name of Jesus on your mouth is the same as in their mouth because they are just as much a son and daughter of God as you are. Just as much a believer as you are. 
And so when we talk about these things, what we're trying to do is to expand your view of what you see as possible. You know, more and more, people live very closed and singular lives where it's just like, I'm going to live my existence and put up with whatever has to go through. And Christians are putting up with things they were never called to put up with. The name of Jesus was supposed to change those circumstances. Don't put up with something that God has already sent Jesus to free you from. So what does this mean for us today? Because it has to have a pl- application today or it's worthless. Well, it needs to change the way we believe. We need to look bigger. We need to think bigger of what is possible to us as sons and daughters of God. We have to let it change the way we pray. Jesus said, pray to the Father in my name. When you come before God, say, Father, I just come before you, and this is the situation that's going on right now. I command it to change in Jesus' name. I command this body to be healed in Jesus' name. I command open doors of opportunity in Jesus' name. We need to change the way we pray, and then we need believing comes into part. If you've spoken the name of Jesus, what are your expectations now? That it's going to change which changes the way we begin to live. We don't have to do it the way we've always done it. We were called to do it the way he told us to do it. And the name of Jesus changes everything. Why don't you stand on your feet with me this morning? Father, we thank you. Come on ahead. Pastor Robin and Wendy have a word. And in my name, in the power of my name, you will witness and you will see Stones rolled away as they were from my grave. The power and the anointing of my name flowing through you will literally move the mountains of circumstances before you. As you use my name, you will see even diseases and tumors and and sickness flee from your body and from your home. No plague will come nigh your dwelling in my name, in the blood that I have poured out on the cross for you. It has covered everything, every provision that you have need of in this life for life and godliness. In my name, appropriate it. Use my name and see circumstances and sickness and disease change in your life. Amen. And you have prayed much for your family to see a difference in their bodies and in their work situations. You have prayed much and appropriated my name. And so this is a confirmation to you that my name is at work whether you see it or they feel it or not, my name will make a way where there is no way. Yes, hallelujah. So Father, we thank you. 
We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your name that you have given unto us, that at that name every knee should bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. Hallelujah. Toph, why don't, why don't we worship something before we go this morning? Hallelujah. give you praise. There's no one like you, Jesus. Worthy of all praise. Worthy of all honor. Only magnify your holy name. Oh, we lift you up. Yes, we lift you up. Jesus. Oh, most high. Yes, we glorify your name. 
cross we make much of the name of Jesus cause none compare to your name Jesus none compare to your name Jesus oh thank you and so Father we thank you we esteem your word highly this morning and we thank you in Jesus name Amen. You guys are blessed. Have a wonderful week. And remember, you are loved and accepted by Almighty God. Amen. Pete.